This spring, the federal government's health technology arm released a new proposal that aims to further the 21st Century Cures Act. Passed in 2016, that act aims to support the seamless and secure access, exchange, and use of electronic health information, among other things. The latest rule is called Health Data, Technology, and Interoperability, Certification Program Updates, Algorithm Transparency, and Information Sharing, better known as HTI-1. I'm Jay Carlisle Larson, and this is Just Healthcare Daily. It's Tuesday, May 30th. The proposed rule was released by the Office of the National Coordinator for Health Information Technology, or ONC. It seeks to improve interoperability, set a baseline for the use of artificial intelligence in healthcare, particularly in EHRs, and more. Joining the podcast today is Mickey Tripathi, National Coordinator for Health Information Technology at the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. He joins to talk more about the new proposed rule and what health systems and electronic health record companies can expect once these rules are finalized. Throughout our conversation, you'll hear some acronyms that are used to describe parts of the rule, as well as other requirements put into place by the 21st Century Cures Act. First, we have FIRE APIs, which stands for Fast Healthcare Interoperability Resources Application Programming Interface, which is a standard for exchanging healthcare information electronically. ONC Cures Act final rule required that certified health IT developers update and provide their customers with FIRE-based technology by December 31, 2022. Then we have QHINs, which are Qualified Health Information Networks, and include organizations that work together to share data. The inaugural group of six QHINs include companies like Epic Systems through its Interoperability Division and software company Health Gorilla. And these are part of TEFCA, which stands for the Trusted Exchange Framework and Common Agreement, which is a 21st Century Cures Act requirement to create a so-called network of networks for sharing health data across the country. With all that said, we kicked off our conversation with Mickey telling me more about the latest proposed certification standards, including data standards, which he talks more about now. We are requiring that certified vendors, which is, you know, most EHR systems, support the latest version of the US CDI, the US Core Data for Interoperability, which is the standard or really set of standards that in my mind, you know, sort of establishes the minimum data set of the healthcare delivery system. It's a set of data standards related to problems, allergies, medications, demographics, like how do we represent your name? How do we represent your address, your phone number, things like that. And that, you know, is is uh, already required that EHR vendors support that. Um, but now that's, you know, uh, we have the version three, which is what um, we're proposing EHR vendor support. And that adds additional data elements to the existing requirements, such as um, social determinants of health, sexual orientation, gender identity, insurance information, and other information like um, like assessments and statuses, like your cognitive status, your um, pregnancy status, uh, you know, a number of other dimensions like that. And I should point out certification now covers 97% of hospitals and like 5% of ambulatory providers. So anything that we put into our certification program ends up having a huge impact in the market because it covers so many providers across the country. Um, uh, you know, So that's why it's also it's powerful, but it's also why we need to be very judicious and careful about it. Um, the second thing I would point to in the area of standards is standards related to fire APIs um, and the work that we're doing to further bolster those. So we um, 
have uh, uh, you know requirements already in place that require that um, that fire APIs be in place by the end of December thirty first, twenty twenty two. So that deadline has passed now. You know, four months ago. Um, so that's those are supposed to be in place. But we continue to upgrade that. So like we've you know adopting the Smart on Fire version two um, uh, framework, which has like additional features related to security, like authentication, authorization, and also has some things that are, um, you know, more about, you know, sort of patient privacy, for example, allows a patient to turn off the spigot of their information within an hour of a request. So that, you know, if you decide, oh, I now have a new health condition, I really want to stop the data flowing into that app that I authorized before, they're now required to, to honor that request within an hour. It's really interesting because obviously this is to assist healthcare providers uh, become more uniform, but it also makes the patient's experience more uniform as well. And since we're talking about interoperability, you know, it's a big part of the 21st Century Cures Act, organizations have, you know, started this shift. Um, but I'm curious, what is your assessment of interoperability now and how is it working currently? Yeah, I think that... Um... There's some really, really good things to point to, and there are some big gaps to point to as well. So the good things, I think, are you know are a number of them. One is if you look at just the ability for systems to be able to send information to each other, like provider to provider, EHR to EHR, that's actually you know kind of growing leaps and bounds. People don't often appreciate it. I think it's been one of those you know things that the industry doesn't get enough credit for. So, for example, Care Equality, which is a nationwide network for exchanging information among EHR vendors, um, they do something like 50 million transactions per day. Um, of and those are those transactions are providers communicating with each other about medical record information for patients who they share, and that's you know cross vendor. So that's you know Epic, Discerner, Athena Health, Works, right? So that's all cross vendor. That's 50 million a day. Just to give you a benchmark, the SWIFT Global Banking Network does 41 million transactions a day. So, you know, that's a lot of interoperability we can have, we have going on. Um, the other thing I think we can point to is something that's, you know, that's successful is the ability for patients to be able to access their own information. Now, to your point, yes, it's a different experience in each place and you still have to get a portal account at each, you know, different place. And if you're a Medicare, you know, the average Medicare member has like 11 doctors. So, you know, they're managing 11 different or, you know, really it's like me. Uh, managing that for my mother, if I was really going to do that, um, you know. So, so there's, you know, there's certainly that. But you know, the ability for millions and millions of people to download their record on their Apple, in the, into their Apple Health record, for example, is pretty common now. I mean, if you go onto, you know, into uh, the Apple Health record and you say download my records, they have over a thousand hospitals listed already, and they keep growing. You just keep adding more and more hospitals, and there's a similar Android app put out by the Commons Foundation that you know, has a similar kind of capability on the Android. So I think that's huge. You know, even five years ago, that wasn't the way it is now. And I think people take it for granted, right? Um, but it was hard work to make that happen and it offers greater ability to manage your own care as well as um, you know, others um, who you're responsible for. The other thing, and I know this is um, largely unsung, is uh, we did have some successes in public health. And I know that's gonna be a shock to a lot of people that I say that, but if you think about, for example, you know, that we know a lot about, you know, immunizations and who got immunized. And how do we know that? Because the immunization registries were set up, you know, state by state. And, you know, within a particular state, they were able to produce some information that was interoperability because most of that data comes from EHR systems. 
using interfaces that are required by ONC. So when you get immunized at your doctor's office, in the background, there's an interface that gets triggered and sends your immunization information to your state registry, wherever that is. Again, that's all interoperability that's happening behind the scenes that people aren't aware of. Um, so, but there are there are a lot of gaps. Um, and let me just tick off like a couple of them really fast. One is that in the networks, providers, the provider are doing those 50 million transactions per day, but there are 30% of hospitals that aren't included in these nationwide networks. Um, public health agencies don't participate in those nationwide networks. So we have specific areas where public health was able to get some stuff done, but in general, that was you know largely a failure, uh, a big gap. The um, individuals don't have the ability to uh, you know to access these networks. They can go into their portals, but they can't you know go into the networks. So that's yeah, that's one area of gap. The other is that um, we're still not seeing it. You know, for all the interoperability that's happening, it still hasn't worked its way all the way down to the frontline patient experience. And what I mean by that is, you know, my mother broke her hip last summer, and we we're bringing her from one hospital you know, to, a, to a rehab hospital, acute care to rehab. They're both on EHR systems. I know they're both connected on the back end through this network I was talking about. Yet, when we were going to transfer her, the frontline staff printed out the record and handed it to us and then said, bring it to the next place and have them scan it and upload it, right? And so we still haven't gotten through all the way down to the bottom whose instinct is still fax, CD-ROM. For those of us who have a CD, I don't, I don't have a CD reader or a CD player, <laughs> you know, and yet you, know, you have an image and they're gonna hand you a CD and to them that's like modern technology, right? So that's, the, that's a big part of the problem as well. We just don't have that last mile, last inch, still, you know, um, assault and a lot of work to do there. This is going to be a work in progress for a while, and things, of course, are going to be developed over time. If we look at HTI-1, how is it pushing that needle on interoperability? Because, as you said, having a record printed off and then having to take it to a whole other provider, it's certainly not efficient, but something could literally get lost along the way. So what's happening with HTI-1 that is really trying to push this forward? Some things that we're pushing on aren't in HTI-1, but I'll just mention them um, because they're not a part of rulemaking, but they're argue, equally important. And also would just flag for um, for you and everyone that there is an HTI-2 coming as a fast follow. So we've published in the Unified Agenda, which is the federal schedule of, um, you know, of rulemaking, that we intend to have our next rule, which would be HTI-2, the draft of that before the end of the calendar year. So we've, you know, we're sort of thinking of this as you don't just look at HTI one. Just remember that this is a part of a sequence of rulemaking that builds on each other, um, because it's too hard to do everything at once, right? It's too hard for the industry. Things can only sort of progress at a certain amount of time because the industry can only absorb so much at a certain amount of time, and that's both technology vendors and providers. Um, so I just want to point those out as background. But some of the things that we're doing in HTI one specifically, we are sharpening certain things related to. The information blocking rules, for example, making it clear that people should be using standards-based approaches for um, the requests for information they might have or sharing information with other parties. The previous rule um, left it kind of wide open. And the problem is that that introduces or invites custom kind of approaches that says, well, I want it this custom way, rather than saying, no, you should, you know, there are four or five different ways of getting in the standards-based way. And that helps everyone converge toward that. So that's you know one of the things that we have in there. Another thing that we have in there is further support for um, for um, 
Tefka and for Tefka to support information blocking. So Tefka's nationwide network interoperability that I'm going to talk about a little bit more in a second. But one of the things that we make clear is, you know, if both parties are participating in a network and the information is really all the information they want to exchange, that from an information blocking perspective, you're done. Like you're not an information blocker in that context because, you know, you are an active participant in the network that hopefully provides additional encouragement for people to say, that's why Tefka is a benefit to me. And that's why I want to join a nationwide network and just have the free sharing of information, obviously within appropriate law and privacy oppressions and, you know, and security and all of that. Um, uh, you know, so those are a couple of things that I would point to in HTA1. But the thing I would also point to is, um, you know, we already got the FHIR API requirement in place. So that was, you know, December 31st, 2022. So that, those FHIR APIs are in place. But when you think about, you know, kind of the one-two punch here of HDI1 and HDI2 for a second, um, one of the things that we're uh, looking at and, and, uh, and are asking about in the rule, in the first rule is, what's the next set of fire capabilities that we ought to be thinking about? Because right now, the fire requirements that we have in place are read-only APIs. So as much as I was talking about, you know, it's great, you can download your, your health record onto your iPhone. But then it begs the question of, well, what else? Is that it? Like, I just have a read-only API. What if I want to send information back to the provider? What if I want additional information? What if, what if I want to do electronic scheduling? Why can't I do that? I can do that, you know, anywhere. <laughs> um, but why can't I do it with my doctor? Um, you know, all those kinds of things are things that, you know, are really the higher level functions that we want to be able to, you know, sort of um, uh, have be standards so that you can have that kind of interactivity. So we ask a set of questions in the rule about where are we on some of those key advanced features for real interactivity with an eye towards saying, we'd like to, you know, kind of signal to the industry that we are moving forward with more advanced fire capabilities now that that foundation's in place. That was Mickey Trapathy, National Coordinator for Health Information Technology at the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. He joined me today to talk more about ONC's proposed HTI-1 rule, which aims to move the needle on interoperability in healthcare. Next week, we'll hear part two of my conversation with Mickey, where we discuss how the HTI-1 rule looks to address the use of artificial intelligence algorithms among EHR vendors. This has been Just Healthcare Daily. I'm Jay Carlisle Larson. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, please leave us a rating or a review. It helps other listeners find the show. We'll be back with healthcare business and policy news updates tomorrow, as always, in 10 minutes or less. In the meantime, you can check out more insights on healthcare business and policy news at justhealthcare.com. You can also get these insights emailed directly to your inbox when you subscribe to our newsletter, The Weekly Gist. The Gist Healthcare Daily Podcast is an independent production of Gist Healthcare, a Kaufman Hall company.